0: Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. Contemporary Service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to have you in worship with you. I'm so glad that we are united in Jesus Christ wherever we may be. I want to give you a little financial update on where the church's budget stands right now. Giving has been really, really strong up until a couple of weeks ago. In fact, many people gave their pledge early. Some even gave above and beyond their pledge. And we are so thankful for you. But the past couple of weeks, we've hit a little bit of a lull. And so we still need you to give financially to support the tremendous ministry here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. If you're like me, I realized just the other day, I was like, oh, wait, I haven't given my second quarter tithe yet. And so you know what I did? I I went, got my checkbook, wrote a check. Kids, do you know what a check is? And so I wrote my check out, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and sent it to the church office. You can do that. You can also give by text, or you can go to roswellpress.org and give online. Any way you give, it's a joy to be in worship and to support the tremendous ministry of Roswell Presbyterian Church. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series for the summer. Walk on the Wild Side, and we're reading a famous, famous story, maybe one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. It's about Noah's ark and the flood. So let us read Genesis 7, verses 24 through chapter 8 through 17. Listen for the word of the Lord. And the water swelled on the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground, but the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might teach us a new lesson, you might speak to us a new word, one that we may not have thought of, that might strike us and prick our hearts right now, or that you might change us so that we can be change agents in the world for when the floods of life come. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, amen. What must it have been like being on the ark during the flood? Trapped in a confined space with just a few rooms? Not able to go outside and see other people. Nothing seems to change for weeks and months. It's like your Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. You're stuck inside with your animals and family. The scene outside your walls is full of storms and chaos. Any of this sound familiar? (laughs) Scholars tell us there's archaeological evidence that a massive flood occurred about 2,900 years before Christ. For the societies that lived through the flood, the question after became, how do you tell the story of that flood? Who caused it? Why did it happen? What did we do wrong? The story we read from the the book of Genesis is one version of an answer to those questions. But in the late 19th century, an archeologist was looking through the storage crates in a British museum. He's looking at artifacts that had been brought back from the Middle East In it, he discovered the 11th tablet of a poem, the Gilgamesh Epic. This ancient tablet tells the story of the gods sending a great flood upon the earth and one man is saved. In fact, there are many ancient stories of floods. Why? Well, because all human beings know, it's common to all humans to quote Bob Dylan, a hard rain is going to fall. Eventually we know it. A hard rain will fall. We will all experience the floods of life that will try to drown us. Floods will come in all sorts of forms. It can be the loss of a job or family problems. It could be the onset of depression or cancer. It could be the experience of racism or sexism. The floods of life do not discriminate. They will fall upon all of us eventually. The question is, how will we make it through Will we be like those other ancient stories of the flood, or will we be like Noah and his family? I would like to make a few observations about what to do when the floods of life come. I think there's a lot of wisdom in this passage. I think Noah shows us a lot of wisdom. First, remember what I said last week? Sin contains its own punishment. I can't emphasize it enough. Sin contains its own punishment. You see, the flood is interpreted as a consequence of human sin. See, Genesis says human beings are punished because of the evil they had done. It says all of their thoughts are evil, in fact. They have chosen to live in slavery to sin, to refuse to be the, the caretakers of creation that God created them to be. And so God's punishment is never arbitrary in Scripture, it's a consequence of human sin. In fact, Human sin and punishment could be thought of as two sides of the same coin. They go together. And because of this, God actually grieves because of their sin. Watch this. In Genesis 6.6, it tells us, And the Lord was sorry. The Lord was sorry that He had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. It grieved Him to His heart, and it goes on. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. The the Hebrew word for evil is ra. It has both moral and aesthetic qualities. So when you do evil, you're disfiguring God's beautiful creation. You're distorting it. It's not just moral. You don't only just do the wrong thing. You take something that's beautiful and make it ugly. And so in other words, when God decides to destroy by the flood, what he's saying is he's almost helping what's self-destroyed already. God's bringing it to its natural conclusion, the trajectory it's already on. Humans destroy the very thing they are relying on. We see this all the time. Consider the town that dumps toxic waste into a river. A prophet comes to town and says, God will judge you if you dump toxic waste into this river. But the townspeople refuse to listen. Well, what happens? Eventually, these people will get sick. They will experience the punishment, the destruction that is caused by their own sin. Sin contains the seed of its own destruction. I've heard it said, if you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splinters. (laughs) It's no surprise that the African-American author, James Baldwin, in his incredible text from 1963, The Fire Next Time, begins with an epigraph from a, a spiritual called Mary, Don't You Weep. The epigraph goes like this. God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time. He's applying the same logic of the flood to race relations in America. If you don't treat people with equality, if you don't show justice, if you don't show the love for all people, you will reap the fire. So when the floods arrive, we have to ask ourselves, is this a flood to wake us up to evil? Are we participating in an evil that we didn't even notice? See, a flood can be a wake-up call. It can show us what's most important. It can reveal that we are headed in the wrong direction. It can show us that we are participating in injustice we weren't even aware of. A flood can force us to face the facts. But sometimes floods just come. Sometimes a hard rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust alike. We will all get caught in the storms of life. Remember, Noah is a righteous man, but the flood does not spare him. The flood isn't his fault, but he gets caught in it. Sometimes the flood will force us to wake up. And sometimes floods are just something we have to suffer and have patience and have courage to suffer through. So what should we do when the floods come? Well, number one, I I think you have to build your ark before the rain comes. Build your ark before the rain starts to fall. See, God has promised us floods will come, troubles will come, trust God, they will. So God comes to Noah and tells him what he needs to do. He says, I'm going to flood the earth and I want you to start building an ark. And you can just imagine Noah hearing this great word saying, great, an ark, what is that? Well, God answers his question and gives him very specific dimensions by which he wants Noah to build the ark. In fact, the ark in the Gilgamesh epic is actually a square where in Genesis it's a rectangle and much larger. See, let me tell you, if you want to survive the storms of life, you must start fortifying yourself before the storms of life come. The storms of life can be the loss of a job, the stress of family, sickness, even a pandemic. I could go on and on. We rarely respond well in the moment if we haven't made preparations before the flood comes. I have a friend named Steve who we used to be in a small group together. He was quite a bit older than me, and so I would often turn to him for advice. He had a lot of wisdom. And Steve once told me, I remember, he said, Jeff, you know, you need to memorize the Apostles' Creed. You need to remember and memorize the Lord's Prayer. You need to memorize Psalm 23. I said, why? He said, Jeff, you have to commit your faith to memory before the storm comes. It's too late to try to do it when the rain starts to fall. It was interesting. Not too long after that, I get this phone call from Steve's wife and she says, Steve has had a heart attack. I was terrified and really worried about Steve and so I rushed to the hospital to go visit him and I come rushing into the room where he's sitting And his wife is at the end of the bed worried. And he's sitting there with this smile on his face. And I said, Steve, how can you smile? He said, Jeff, I'm meditating on Psalm 23. See, I prepared before the heart attack came. You see, we need to memorize the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, things like Psalm 23. So we'll be prepared when the flood starts to fall. When you're stuck in the flood, you also need to think globally. Act locally. Sure, Noah's worried about the fact that the world is covered with water, but worrying about that can't change anything. He's got to take care of what he can, take care of those who God has put him with. He's got to trust God's promise that he will, and in trusting God, he'll be free to love those who are in the ark with him. It's like that old Stephen Stills song if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. You know, a lot of people get caught up in a dream world. If this was the way the world was, then I would do this. If I was with this person, then I could really love him. Noah doesn't worry about the water on the outside of those walls. He focuses in on the people he's with. The other day I was listening to an interview with Michael Lewis. Lewis is the author of Moneyball, The Blind Side, The Big Short Liars Poker, a bunch of other great books. He's really a national treasure and one of the the smartest and greatest people at making complicated things very simple. And he's also brilliant about analyzing how people can get the edge, just a little edge to get the win or to be a success. He's the one that recognized the move to analytics in professional sports. Well, in this interview, the interviewer asks Michael Lewis, hey man, how are you, you making it through the pandemic with your family? And Lewis had a really interesting response. He says this. He says, every day, my wife and our three children ask ourselves, today, how can we win the pandemic? He says, today, how can we win the pandemic? What are we going today to do today to not let it defeat us? He said, you know, we've missed sports seasons, commencements, vacation trips. We've been locked in our house, but we can't change that. What can we do today to win the pandemic? What I love about that interview and that answer, it shows, okay, we can think globally, but we need to act locally. What can we do today? What's in our control? So I'm, for myself, I discovered that I'm no longer sitting 10 hours in Atlanta traffic. I'm starting to read a lot more than I was ever able to before. Yeah, I can't control all the pandemic, but I'm trying to act locally. What do I want to do? How can I win the pandemic today? So when you're stuck in the ark in the midst of a flood, think globally, but act locally. Observation number four. In a flood, signs can be hard to interpret. Here's what I mean. On a close reading of the story, I'd never noticed this before. The raven doesn't come back, but the dove does. You'd think if the raven doesn't come back that he found dry ground, that maybe the flood had receded. But Noah doesn't think that. It's not always a good thing if the raven doesn't come back. Noah knows that just because the raven doesn't come back doesn't necessarily mean he can open the doors of the ark. You see, he recognizes that the, the raven is feasting on the carnage floating on the water. It doesn't mean that the water has receded. See, when the dove is sent out, the dove comes back. And then the dove is sent out again. And again, this time, It comes back with an olive branch. And finally, after waiting another week, Noah feels safe and he opens the door of the ark. And then he hears the voice of God in verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And listen to this, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. This is our final observation. When the flood comes, even in the midst of the flood, God desires for us to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That's what God wants us to be. That's what God's intentions, and that's the vocation we have as human beings. In fact, these are the the same words that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. See, even when the floods come, God desires for human flourishing. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and grow businesses, grow nonprofits that help humans flourish, be fruitful and multiply. Help people who are sick get healed, help them flourish. Help those who are stuck in the mud, help them flourish. Help those who are floating in the flood find dry ground, be fruitful and multiply. How do we do this? Did you know that in the New Testament, the sign of the dove appears in all four of our Gospels at Jesus' baptism? The Gospels say it's the sign or symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus in his baptism. See, the dove is the sign of God's faithful presence to be with us even in the storms of life. Friends, the, the floods will come. We will experience illnesses. We will experience loss. We will experience even despair. But through all of the floods of life, God promises to be with us by His Spirit. So just as that dove was with Noah in the ark, just as that dove was with Jesus in His baptism, so that dove of the Holy Spirit is with us today. And so even when the floods of life come, we can have faith and we can have flourishing lives. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your promise to be with us by your Holy Spirit, this great symbol of the dove. Lord, help us to do all of these things, to recognize that sometimes the flood is meant to wake us up, that sin contains the seed of its own punishment. Sometimes you want us to think globally, but act locally. Help us to do that. Help us to recognize What are true symbols and signs of your presence with us? And not pay attention to the ravens, but focus in on the doves of our lives that you are with us, yes, even now. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.